Hey, Ryan, how do I get project-based learning started at my school? I've gotten some form of this question nearly every day for the last decade from engaged educators just like you. So at Magnify Learning, we've created a free download to get you started. Whether you're a superintendent, principal, coach, or teacher, go to whatispbl.com to get started on your project-based learning journey today. Are you ready to bring project-based learning to your school? The PBL Simplified Podcast will help equip you for your PBL journey with weekly need-to-knows, engaging interviews, PBL showcases from facilitators in the classroom, and PBL leadership episodes to move you towards a successful implementation of PBL. Because every learner deserves to be a part of an inspiring story, and we see daily that project-based learning helps make this happen. If you want me to answer your PBL need-to-know on the podcast, visit whatispbl.com and click on Ask Ryan to submit your question. Welcome to PBL Simplified. We've got the PBL Showcase series today, where each month we're highlighting the work of some awesome teachers in PBL classrooms across the country. Today we're going to be talking to Foster Heights Elementary, a really great PBL unit they're going to talk to us about. Before we dive into that interview, uh, let's address our need to know for the day. Our need to know today is how do I increase the engagement level of my students? And this is something that every classroom across the country is addressing. We all want to know how do we keep our students engaged so that we can get to rigor. And I like to use the metaphor of the Golden Gate Bridge under construction. If you Google Golden Gate Bridge under construction, you'll see the pillars of the Golden Gate Bridge. They started with the pillars and then they started to build out from there. What happens is you end up with two gaps as you're trying to span the bridge. The first gap, in my metaphor, is the engagement gap. We've got this gap, this engagement gap where our learners don't necessarily want to be in school. They may not value education at this point just yet. So they've got other things on their mind or they just don't want to do it. The apathy creeps in and we've got this gap. What we're doing is we're trying to get them across the bay so that we can get them to more opportunities, we can get them to their best selves, they can find their purpose and place in the world. We've got a couple gaps. The first gap is the engagement gap. The second gap is that learning gap, where there are some standards that they just don't know. Maybe it's because, appropriately so, right? They come into eighth grade and there's some standards they need to learn. They haven't learned them yet because we haven't scaffolded them up to that. So there's a gap there. That's why you're there, right? That's why you've got your curriculum that you're going to teach them. Or maybe there's a learning gap where they missed something in the previous grades, right? We know that we've got some learners that may be a grade or two behind or more in reading or math or any of those subject areas. So there's that gap. So we're, we're trying to close that learning gap with rigor. So we have an engagement gap and we basically have a rigor gap. We want to increase the rigor so we can get our learners to more opportunities on the other side. Uh, We get to fulfill our why. Our students get to fulfill their why at the same time. So you've got the Golden Gate Bridge being built out from these pillars. You've got these two gaps. So which one do I cover first? Like the rigor gap seems to be the easier one to think through because, well, we do that, right? We have curriculum maps. We have power standards. We have all these things planned, these well-planned units. But what if they can't get past the first gap of engagement? 
If they can't get past the first gap of engagement, they can't get to your very well-planned-out lesson. The most well-planned-out lesson that is very rigorous, that may be scaffolded, may have workshops in it, it may be just what our learners need, if they can't get past the first gap of engagement, they're not going to get to our rigorous material, which is really where we want them to be, because that's what's going to get them to the land of opportunity. So what we need to do is we need to increase the engagement. Well, what's that mean? It doesn't mean movies and candy. That doesn't do it. It means authenticity. When you bring authentic work to the classroom, engagement automatically goes up. Once you bring a real-world problem for our, our students to solve, now they're engaged. And once they're engaged, that allows us to bring rigor. So it's not engagement for engagement's sake. It's engagement for rigor's sake. And it's not rigor for rigor's sake. It's rigor for opportunity. So we need to raise the engagement level with authenticity so our students have their heads up, their minds on, so that we can get to rigor, so that we can get them to the opportunities that they want to have. And maybe they don't even know what opportunities are out there. They might not know what STEM jobs they could have. So we're going to bring in community partners, which is part of that authenticity and engagement. And that ecosystem really around engagement and rigor allows us to get to really new opportunities that are exciting and stretching for our learners. So great need to know today. How do I increase engagement level with my students? Authenticity is always the answer. Authenticity trumps apathy every single time. So that's why at Magnify Learning, we're going to continue to push you in that direction, past the scenario projects, past your traditional teaching of the past, and move into authenticity. And it's actually a great bridge, again, if I can continue the metaphor, to our conversation with Foster Heights Elementary. Foster Heights Elementary is in uh, Bardstown, Kentucky. They've done a lot of great work with our friends at UK NextGen, and it's a large, comprehensive elementary, public school. I like to give you some context because as we bring different PBL units to you, everybody always wants to know, like, well, where are they? Is it urban, suburban? Is it a charter? Is it private? Is it public? So that when you're listening to this PBL unit, you can kind of relate. And that totally makes sense. We want to know if they're like us, right? So we can apply those things. But I also want you to step past that a little bit to say, just what if? Because you're going to hear a really exciting PBL unit with some young learners. So we're going to be talking kindergarten, first grade today. And it's a really good conversation. I think you're really going to enjoy it. Hey, PBL Simplified audience, you are in for a treat today. We are talking with facilitators from Foster Heights in Kentucky, and we're talking to kindergarten, first grade, which is something that we get a lot of questions about. Magnify Learning is how does PBL work in these lower grades? Like if kids can't read, what do we do? Can we still do cool stuff? You are going to find out the answer is absolutely yes, you can. We create some amazing, amazing work with kindergarten, first grade. So let's jump in. We've got the Foster Heights crew with us today. And they're going to tell us a little bit about their PBL unit. We'll get to hear some student stories and we'll just kind of see where it goes. So thank you for joining us today. We're really excited to have you guys. Thank you. We are excited too. All right. Well, why don't we jump in, kind of give us an overview of the PBL unit that you all did, and then we'll dive in and, and get more specific as we go. 
Okay, so our PBL unit really started prior to the school year. Our admin really encourages our PBL units to have community impact. So they set up some days for us where we kind of explored the community ourselves. We kind of dug deep into which sections of the community we wanted to impact with our students. And we came together and started planning the unit that way. And um, when we had our students, we realized the need for to hit those really big foundational skills in kindergarten, first grade. As you said, reading, writing, those are all skills that are learned throughout K-1. So we wanted to get them excited to learn these skills and do so in a meaningful way. We also wanted to really hit on empathy and impact and community and what those words meant. So we visited a local nursing home and the kids saw the need for that nursing the nursing home residents to connect with their family members in a time where they really weren't able to. Um, they obviously thought it was so sad that they couldn't come out. They couldn't have visitors. You know, that's different for them. And so we really asked questions, really focused in on that. From there, we went into an exploration phase where we kind of visited different parts of our community. We went to a broad range so we could hone in on those interests of various students, such as a Mago Construction Company, um, Boone's Butcher Shop, Sergeant Foe, Stoodles by Rebecca, and Wickland. And from there, the students made the connection to share those important stories and the impact those community members had and to raise money by publishing their own book and purchase technology to go back to the colonial nursing home. So just to double check on my awesome meter, you have kindergarten, first grade students diving into the community talking to like intergenerational projects are like my favorite. We'll just start there. Like they went to go see a need, had empathy and say, you know what we ought to do? We ought to publish a book so we can raise money so that the seniors at the local senior center can then have like iPads or a device that they can communicate with their loved ones. Is that what just happened? Exactly. Yes. So, so I, I think it broke my awesome meter, right? Like there are a ton of things that I love about this. Um, but I'm not. I'm going to try to not hijack it. I'm, but it's going to be close because I heard admin support. I heard key academic skills in an engaging, impactful project, right? Not outside of. And I heard a ton of community partners. So I'll back back up, and then why don't you guys jump back in and just tell us some of the stories that come out of that, or some of the details that you want to share. Okay, so I will just start by telling one of my favorite parts of the project, which was um, the days leading up to our culminating event. So um, the kids had obviously written the book, but I think in their kindergarten and first grade minds, they didn't realize that this was actually going to come together as a real book um, that they say, you know, could be put into a library. So our publisher, Carol Butler from Butler Publishing in Louisville, she made her way down with the completed copy of the book and she surprised the kids with the copy. And I think the coolest part about that was just seeing their excited faces when they saw like we had one student who designed the title page, one student who designed the cover, and then obviously all the kids were able to be a part of the book in some way. And they were so excited to see that. Um, along with that, she's not from Bargetown, so she read them the book. And, you know, it was kind of cool because she was not getting all the names right in the book and the kids were correcting her or they were expanding on it and telling her more about the people that were in the book. So that was super cool. And so that was on uh, Wednesday. And then on Thursday, they were able to 
have an event that they planned. It was called the Husky Brew. And so this was completely planned by the kids. It was our culminating event. Um, They sold the book at the event. They were able to share their learning there. They invited their parents along with these community partners to come. And um, it was super cool because the kids were able to sell and also see how much money they were raising for the nursing home residents. So I think that that was absolutely my favorite part of the project, along with the kids' favorite part of the project as well. Yeah, of, of course it was, right? I mean, everybody can have a different a favorite part, but I mean, your kids became experts, right? And you've just redefined, and really with your learners, you're just defining what school is, that school matters to the outside world. The work that I do matters to the world. There are adults out there that uh, care about what we do here at school inside our four walls, and that it has bigger impact. Like, how exciting is that for learners and, and for adults, right? We talk to uh, school principals all the time and say, well, how do we get more adults, more parents, community partners into our school? Have eight-year-olds and invite them, right? Like, have, have kids invite them in, and they're going to come in, and your kids are even younger than that, aren't they? Goodness. Uh, <laughs> so, people come into school when they're invited by, by learners, for sure. What else can we add some color to? Another aspect of our Husky Brew event, um, going back to the whole purpose of involving these five, we refer to them as the influential people of Bardstown. So we had lots of conversations around that word influential, what that means, how are we influential, why should we be influential, who do we know who's influential. We explored um, a variety of texts such as biographies and nonfiction um, about influential people in history and in our world. So from those conversations, we um, were led to the idea of creating a Hall of Fame here at our school. So we titled it the Husky Hall of Fame. And at the end of our Husky Brew event that Ms. McCubbin just um, talked a little bit about, we had a whole induction process. So all five people were the first five people to ever be inducted into our Husky Hall of Fame. So students, um, we got to visit a local Hall of Fame and kind of talk about what that means, why people are inducted into one, what does it mean to be inducted, how. So um, we felt that our people deserved a spot in a Hall of Fame somewhere to be recognized um, for all of their contributions to our project, to our learning. Um, They helped write a speech and three of our first graders gave the speech and did wonderful and parents were there and able to see um, their their children speak on behalf of five people who are much older than them doing big things in our community Um, and then later on they got to present the hall of fame which was full of artifacts from these community members and and much more so you created or you're really your learners created a community partner hall of fame. Yes. So again, for our listeners, if you want more community partners to come in, my guess is that creating a hall of fame for them is a really <laughs> good way to do that. Right. And then it also creates the expectation, right? As your other community partners come in, this is what other community partners do. This is how they partner with us and adds clarity to that partnership. Gosh, that's super exciting as well. <laughs> what else can we share? Not even like I've thrown all of my questions out the window at this point, And it's just <laughs> of all the awesomeness, like what can we share on this, this unit? So I'll go far back into our project. And um, so how our kids chose what they wanted to do. We actually came back to school and we each led a focus group almost. Um, so I was in charge of doodles by Rebecca and we had a room that was in charge of boons and, um, Mago and Wickland and all these different places. And the kids got to filter their way through them at first. And we did different 
things that um, really spoke to what they do for our community. So within that, they got to choose which one they felt more passionate about and that they wanted to learn through. So after they did that, we put them into what we call focus groups. And every single day we met with those groups and um, that's where most of our learning took place with this project is um, we broke them down because we have 220 kids first through kindergarten and first graders. So that's a lot. So we needed a way to break them up and be more intentional with our learning So that was one of my favorite parts was just letting them choose what they wanted to learn about and how they wanted to do it. And they had a lot of say in the various ways that we learned about our people. We made our own podcast and we acted out plays and um, and then we ended up with our final product as the book. So they got to learn a lot through, you know, media and how to bring things to life. So that was really cool for me. So, right. So you guys are in a large comprehensive public elementary school, right? Doing amazing things. I just heard a ton of voice and choice in that and voice and choice. There's some giving up of control, right? Of teachers. And sometimes we know our participants, like in a magnified learning workshop, like we, they kind of freeze up and say, Whoa, especially I would say K1, like you can't give up control in the K1 classroom and survive. Right. So what are some things that you all do to give your learners voice and choice? Do you have some structures or protocols? I'm, I'm sure it's not a free-for-all in there, right? Like, how do you give voice and choice, but still you know, not tear your hair out and like have, have that order? Do you know what I mean? What are some things that you do? So I believe we give multiple um, opportunities for student voice and choice just throughout our everyday classrooms. But for our PBL in particular, we kind of started out with just the overall entry event, the overall exploration phase where they explore all of the opportunities that are presented for them. And then we kind of dive deeper, like Miss Williams just said, we came back to the school. We had um, a mini focus where they explored all of it again, just to make sure we discussed all of them. And then we kind of created a survey, a Google form actually, where they chose, okay, if I got to learn more, if I feel like I could give this focus group um, some more learning or I can learn more about this focus group, which one would I choose? And they kind of chose from there. And we also had conversations with them as their teachers. They knew which ones, if they had a student that was really um, inspired and passionate about building and putting their hands on things, they kind of talked with that student, you know, like we have Mago Construction, that is where they do those things. So maybe we can learn more there. What do you think? And so they kind of spoke more to those students and they had choice that way. We also made a flip grid, had them make a flip grid where they had to talk about what they could contribute to that group. So I think that was really the protocol there was, you know, they got to explore it, but then it was like, okay, you're picking one, but how are you going to contribute to that group? Like what skills can you bring to the table and make it better? Yes. And the other part of this that is kind of, you know, unique to this project and unique to our school is we were able to work with kindergartners and first graders. So uh, what we've all talked about is that our first graders, you know, the ones that might not typically step up to lead in a first grade classroom really stepped up in this project and led these kindergartners who were just learning things like writing a sentence or even just basic skills like asking and answering questions. Um, the first graders were able to step up and help them in that way. So that was a really cool thing to see and kind of unique to this because we've kind of 
developed our schedule around having kindergartners and first graders together so that this project could happen. And I think, uh, obviously, teachers, we all set expectations in the forefront. And we, you know, I think, like they've all said, um, it's unique because we do get to involve communities. So just kind of always like referring to like keeping that in the back of our students' mind, like there are people out there in our community that are kind of depending on us right now. We're writing this book for a a partner for this local nursing home. um, And they're, you know, we're we're trying to raise money to get them the technology they need to connect them. That's what's driving this whole thing, guys. So we would, we would refer back to that as well. And I think like they said, um, having our students throughout the the book writing process, some as editors, and they were leading authors and illustrators. And, and I think students are really responsive to their peers. So I think that was, it was cool. And it was neat to see just how they learn from each other and how they would respond differently almost to them than they would us. Well, I I think I hear a lot of of high expectations, right? And not just high expectations on standardized tests. I'm sure that those things are coming with the work that you're doing, but I just heard you talk about uh, amongst many things, uh, first grade leadership, right? And then, right, you're writing Flipgrids and Google Forms and, and things that I'm certain we have some teachers, some school systems that don't think kindergarten and first graders can do that. Right. So what I hear and I hope is inspiring our audience is that, yes, we can do some amazing things in K-1 um, and leadership skills can start. Right. Like what are these kids going to be when they're sophomores in high school? And the expectation is that my work needs to impact the community. Like The community is depending on us. Right. Like I, I love that. That's the charge they're taking up. I'm going to take us in a little bit different direction. Because I did hear you also say scheduling played a part of this, right? So K-1, the very beginning, Megan mentioned some ad- admin support, right? So can you talk a little bit how your administration has supported your work so that you have the opportunity to bring a unit like this to life? What are some things your admin's done to help? We've had to make some changes, but um, in the beginning, we had our schedule set up to where kindergarten and first grade had the same planning same focus groups. I'm like our schedules were identical in a way, um, but we had to make a change in that aspect to where um, we had the same focus group time. And then we started meeting after school one day a week instead of a traditional faculty meeting. We have what we call design labs. So uh, K1 would come together and we would focus in on our project. And then throughout the week, uh, we had meetings with our administrative staff, like grade level base. So kindergarten would come together and we would uh, talk through the project. And then we have what we call a backpack leader, which is Megan. And she would kind of facilitate the conversation between both groups since we could not be in the same room with each other at that point. So, you know, she would tell us what first grade talked about and then relay the message. So um, really just having that same time period and that person facilitating the conversation was huge for us to keep this project rolling. I will add on also that it took a lot of flexibility from our teachers. So some days um, we had to go based on the community partner schedule. So say our focus group time traditionally is at one o'clock, but some days they had to meet us in the morning and our teachers and our students were always super flexible with that. And we changed our schedules to meet the needs there. And so it was really cool to see 
us just give up control, as you said, because that is really hard to do, especially in K-1. But we really grew this year as educators. I believe I can speak for all 10 of the K-1 teachers. They grew tremendously on being flexible and giving up control and allowing that student voice and choice and just seeing where the students and the learners took us in this project. Yeah. And I, I heard in there also that there was some change, right? There's adapting. Some people might use the word failure. You probably just use the word learning, right? But right, you just roll with that. And then once you see the results, right, how, how could you go back to anything different? So I, I love hearing the support in there and that it is a system to create some really cool opportunities like this for learners. They're, they're learning their, their basic skills, their academic standards throughout this impactful PBL unit. What would you tell other teachers that might be on the fence about project-based learning? What kind of advice or maybe one-liners or a place for them to start? I mean, I think flexibility is the biggest. Um, last year, like, despite the, the hardships we all faced you know, in the world, um, we did kind of take on this PBL approach and involving the community and we still came out with success and it took a lot of flexibility from us and, and from our students. And I think that's a good, a good skill to teach them is resilience. And, and they are, they're very resilient. Um, and I just think collaboration is a big one as well. You know, being a listener as well as an ongoing learner and, and accountability as well. Everyone's held accountable for their, their work, their, their way to the project, um, their focus group duties and, and whatnot. So I think, Flexibility, collaboration, and just willingness to learn. Yes, and I I started teaching kindergarten uh, four years ago, and I think when I walked into the kindergarten classroom, my mindset was that you know they were still babies, that they couldn't do some of the things like you say. Your listeners call in and ask, "How do you do this in K one?" And I think just in just talking about kindergartners and first graders in general. I think the biggest advice that I would give about PBL is to just do it with them and let them do it. And I think that you will learn that they can do anything that you put in front of them. Now, it does take a lot of scaffolding at times. It does take a lot on the teacher side of things. You know, it's not just something you're just going to throw at them and they're going to do it perfectly, but they make mistakes and they fail and they learn from it. And I think that's the best part about doing this in kindergarten and first grade is because they don't let anything stop them at that age. Yeah, I, I think that's the beauty in it too, as an educator, is that you're you're getting to learn alongside them. So like, you know, these projects change every year and we're not experts in them right now either. So I think that's that's awesome for our kids to see like, you know, I'm learning like you are. So, you know, I'm a lifelong learner. You're going to be a lifelong learner, learner. So, you know, can't give up. We got to see it till the end. And one more thing, uh, I know our principal always um, preaches this to anybody that may not have set foot in Foster Heights before. He always, he stands up for us and he says, our teachers work the hardest and, and, and I'm right there with him. And, you know, it does take a lot more work on the forefront and a lot more planning and like Ms. McCubbin said, scaffolding. But in the end, it's completely worth it seeing your students take the lead and take the reins and, and go for it. Well, I think there's an invitation there too. If you haven't stepped foot into Foster Heights Elementary, Bardstown, Kentucky, you should. Right, so we'll have all of their social media tags in the show notes so you can follow them on social media. But I would recommend that you do go step foot, go feel the culture, go be there, ask good questions of the learners, ask questions of the facilitators, the admin, and really dive deep because this is the real deal. Like This is really good work that's happening. 
again, in a, in a public elementary school, right? Like they're, they're making these things work and it's possible with your, your learners as well, audience. So I look forward to buying the book. So I can't wait to get that link so we can buy the book. And as soon as we have that, we'll have it in the show notes as well so that our audience can buy that as well. Thanks for being on the podcast and sharing your journey with us. We really, really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you for having us. Absolutely. PBL Simplified audience, thank you for joining me on the PBL Simplified podcast, where we engage learners, tackle boredom, and transform your classrooms.